Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning. Morning, those of you that are watching online. Good to have you with us as well. Uh, It was good to just kind of follow our kids. Uh, Josh sent pictures and, and we had a text thread amongst the parents of the kids that were, were going. And so uh, I'm going to echo what Josh said. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for praying for these kids. Uh, it, it was just, uh, it's cool to, and I talked to my daughter. She's told me about what they did. And it's just neat to watch God use them in other people's lives, but also work in their own lives as they're serving. And as Josh said, man, we want to be about that. Uh, a lot more. And so we want to open up the opportunity very soon in the future for, for others to go on missions trips. And so you'll, you'll hear more about that. But I am so proud of our students and thankful for Josh and Julie and their uh, just leadership by uh, just taking us on our very first missions trip as a church. Uh, very special and thankful for Hope Church for hosting us. Many of you uh, know, you know, if you, you know me and you've heard me a little bit, you know that I, I grew up in a family with three boys. And so I was the oldest, and uh, we were kind of two years apart. We have Matt, who's two years younger than me, and then Brent, who's two years younger than Matt. And I'd like if you, if you have children at your house, or if you're at a home and you're one of those children, you, you know this. If you have three boys in a house, it does not take long to mess up a room or, or mess up an entire house. I mean, with three boys, rambunctious, crazy, eat a lot, throw stuff everywhere. Man, it it's quickly can go from a clean room, a clean house, to pretty much a disaster. A tornado came through, and, and you know, it was Matt, Chris, and Brent. It was the name of the tornadoes. And, and so that would happen. And, and then the, the most dreaded day of the week would come. The most dreaded conversation of the week would come when our mom what would say something to this effect, hey guys, it's time to get things cleaned up. It's time to to do our chores. And obviously as a kid, chores are extremely inconvenient. Uh, I mean, there's always things that you would like to do. And so my goal was to, as quickly as possible, get my chores done. So, all right, mom, we'll do it. Uh, We'll do the chores, whatever. But man, let's Let's, we've got other things that are way more important and way more fun to do than this. And so let's get these chores done quick. And so there would be times that, you know, I'd go in to clean my room. And I found that it was much more convenient to, instead of cleaning up the mess, just move the mess. And so under the bed, great place to move the mess. In the closet, great place to move the mess. And, and so I would do that. And then mom would, you know, towards maybe the end, and, and sometimes she wouldn't do this, but the days where she would say, okay, let me, you got your room clean? Oh yeah, I got a room, yeah, I got a good mom. Oh, let me come in, and before you go do whatever you're gonna do, let me, let me come and check. It's like, oh God, 
please don't go in the closet. Please don't go in the closet. No, please don't. And she'd walk over to the closet. And after the avalanche of things had fallen on her and she kind of became conscious again after falling down because all the stuff that fell on her, we would have this conversation. The Hey, this is not really what clean is conversation. It, this is, and she would sit down and it's like, I know mom. And and she'd look under the bed, and there was, you know, three or four days' food under there. And, and so she'd sit us down and be like, hey, you, you thought this was clean, but it's, this is not what clean looks like. You, you can't just move the mess. And, and in my mindset, it was like, hey, everything was great. And to me, it was clean as long as she didn't go under the bed or in the closet. And you, you can relate. You've either been that kid or you've been that parent or maybe you've been both where it's been like, Hey, your kid's like praying with, with your, their brothers and sisters. God, I hope mom doesn't go into the closet. Don't look under. No, mom, not under the bed. And, and, and you've been that parent that you found, you know, last year's Thanksgiving dinner under the bed after four or five months. And, and so you've been there. And, and if you've been that kid that you were kind of terrorized that, man, oh, just please don't go look in this one area. And if she doesn't look there, I think I'm going to be good. You've, you've probably been there, and it's, it's kind of funny, and it's, uh, when, when kids are kids, it's kind of funny, but here's where it's not funny, and, and unfortunately, and maybe you've experienced this, I know I have in my own life at times, unfortunately, sometimes this is how we interact with God. We, we interact with God in a, in a similar way sometimes, and here's what I mean. We, we say to God, you know what, God, I, I believe you exist. God, I, I believe that your way is best, but if you could stay out of this one room, and if you just don't bother go look in the closet, I think we're going to be good. Oh, yeah, I, I believe you exist. I, I believe your way is best, but, but if you could just, there's a couple areas I'd just rather you not go look in, a couple drawers I wish you just wouldn't pull open. If you could stay right out of that closet, then, then, I, then I think we're good. And, and this is how we sometimes live life and how we sometimes live our relationship with God. And James, this guy that we've been investigating this summer, he, he wrote a letter. He was Jesus's brother, his half brother. And he wrote a letter to a group of people that were scattered all over the known world because of persecution. And one of his concerns was this exact thing. It, 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 was, it was almost as if these people that said they were followers of Jesus had some areas of their life, maybe some rooms in their house that they said, you know what, we're followers of Jesus, and yes, we believe this, and yes, it's clean, but there's a few rooms we'd rather Jesus not go into. There's a few rooms that he's just not allowed in. And what James was doing as he, as he writes, and we'll look at it today, is he was, he was starting to talk to them about some areas of their life that, man, maybe they included God in, in three quarters of what was going on in their life, but there was a few areas of their life that he talked about that it was almost as if God wasn't a part of. And, and he says this in, in James chapter 4. He, he kind of starts it this way. He, he starts it with these two words. Come now. And basically, in, in our language, he, this is basically, hey, listen up. Hey, let me get your attention. Lean in. I got something to say. I, I really want you to focus. Listen. 
That's what he's saying. He's about to say something that, that he believes is, is important. He's actually writing this, and he wants them to, hey, if you're, if if you're kind of distracted as you're reading this letter, lean in. Come on, right now, look at this. It's kind of what he's saying. And, and he says, hey, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make profit. On the surface, this sounds like, man, this is really good business planning. And James, he's not, you'll see as we walk through this, he's not condemning good business planning. He's not condemning good business. He's not condemning making profit. In fact, if you read through the Old Testament and even some of the New Testament, there are some extremely savvy business people that, that did pretty well financially. And so he's not, he's not getting upset at people, but here's what he's saying. He's saying, you, you're, you're making all these plans, but I, I don't hear God in the mix at all. And he goes on, and he, and he, he, he's saying, he says, you know what, you're, you're saying, you know, you're going to go to this city, you're going to go to that city, you're going to spend time there, you're going to make profit. You've got all these plans, but where is God in the mix? It's almost as if you're a, a practical atheist. And basically what, what I mean by that is you profess belief in God, but you live as though he does not exist. Like, oh, yeah, I, I believe in God. And, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe this is true. But, but God, there, there's certain wind areas of my life that I'm just like, hey, stay out of this. And, and God, I don't really need you in my business planning. I don't really need you in my finances. I don't really need you. And, and you fill in the blank with other things. And, and it's practical atheism. And, and unfortunately, this isn't new. Or, or th th this is something that, that happens even now. And in fact, we have, we have churches full of people that say they believe in God on Sunday and yet live as though God doesn't exist the rest of the week. And for some of you, it might be why you've been hurt by the church. It might be why you walked away from the church. Because you saw a group of people that said they believed something and then lived as though they didn't believe it. And this is what James is talking about. And, and he, he goes on and he kind of explains it a little bit further. He says this. You don't, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What your life will be. He's like, you're, you're making all this. We're going to go to this city. We're going to do this. We're going to make a profit. You, you don't even know what's going to happen in the future. You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. And, and then he illustrates it by, by saying this. He says, for you are like vapor. He, he compares our life to a, a mist, a vapor. He compares our life to, man, when it's cold outside and you can see your breath for a millisecond. He, he compares our life to that. And he says, man, you're, you're making all these plans, and, and you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. In fact, your life is just a vapor. It's so short. And he, he wants them to see it. He says, it appears for a little while, just like steam, just like a mist. And then it vanishes. He, he's trying to say, hey, life is short. It comes and goes quickly how foolish it is to live, work, and do business and leave God out of it. Jesus, who was James's brother, he talked about this in, in Luke. 
And, and I'm going to read a little, little passage. That, this is something that maybe Jesus and James talked about this. Because Jesus illustrated it this way. He said this in, in Luke chapter 12. He said, a, a rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, talking about the rich man, hey, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? So Jesus, he tells the story of this rich man. And, and again, you, you won't see Jesus or James ever upset at people that are rich for being rich or people that have great business sense. It's, that's not their point. You, you have this business guy, this rich guy that, man, he's... He, it's been a really good year, so good that his barns aren't big enough to hold what he has. He's got a, a good problem. It's a good problem to have. And, and he says, I, I don't have anywhere to store my crops. He says this, I, I will do this. He said, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. It's like Chick-fil-A. I mean, they... St- in the South, they literally tear down their restaurants just so they can build bigger ones because they have so many customers. That's this guy. He's like, I, I guess I could tear down my smaller barns and I'll, I'll build bigger ones. And, and man, just, I just have so much. And then it says this in verse 19. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. And then Jesus says this in verse 20. But God said to him, you fool. Not something you want to be called by God. You fool. This very night your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Bottom line, buddy. You can build your barns, but you won't be here to see them. Because tonight is your last night. You're a fool for putting all your effort and mindset into this and leaving God out because you're not even going to be here. And then Jesus finishes the story. He says, that's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And James, he's, he's picking up right where his brother Jesus, just kind of on that same theme, this idea that that we would make all these plans and we would even brag about those plans and, and, and we would do all of this and yet God would be not any part of the picture as if we're in control. And Jesus' point and James's point is, man, your life is so short, you don't even control if you breathe. Don't you think you should bring God into the mix in, in these areas of your life? And after making it clear that it's not really smart to leave God out of different areas of your life, James, he kind of gives an alternative. He says this in verse 15. He says, instead, instead of doing it that way, instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance All such boasting is evil. James says, instead of doing it this way, instead of making all these plans, instead of kind of doing your own thing, leaving God totally out of it, and not even realizing that your life is so short and that you're not even promised tomorrow, instead of doing it that way, he he gives another way. And here's what James isn't saying. He's not promoting laziness. 
He's not, he's not the guy that's saying, hey, just sit back and don't do anything and expect God to do everything. He's not saying that. I mean, you can read through Proverbs and it talks a lot about laziness and it doesn't talk about it in a good way. He's not promoting laziness. He's not promoting, hey, don't be smart, don't be savvy. He's not promoting that. But he's also, he's not promoting arrogance. This idea that, man, this is all up to me and and I'm going to do this and it's all by myself and I'm the man. He's not promoting that. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, how about doing it this way? How about being dependent on God from the start? And as you're making plans, bring God into those plans. Pray about your plans. Pray about what God wants you to do. Pray about the job change. Pray about the the opportunity. Why not bring God into the mix? And then when, when you're clear that this is what God wants you to do, work your tail off. Do your best. Work hard. And then at the end of this thing, whether you have these great results and you have to tear down barns and build bigger ones, or if things don't go as well, you're dependent on God for that. And so, man, you don't have to lose sleep at night because you're God dependent from the beginning to the end. I mean, some of the, some of the wealthiest people that I know, some of the greatest business people I know are the strongest followers of Jesus. And, and, and if you're around them, you, and you, you, some of you, you're, you're, you're like this, and you're maybe around these type of people. Man, they, they, they smile. They don't, they don't feel stress. From, I mean, they feel stress, but they're not, they're not constantly worried about their money. And, and here's what, how they look at their life. They look at their life as they're a funnel. They're a funnel for God. God continues to give to them. He continues to bless them. He continues to show them favor on their business. And they feel like, hey, I'm just a funnel to then take what God has given me and bless other people and bless my family and help ministries and help things that that are close to God's heart. And and it's just, uh, there's one guy I'm thinking about, it's like God won't quit giving him stuff. But it's because he literally is just a funnel. He can't give it away fast enough. And God keeps giving. And this is just the type of guy he is. And this is what James is saying. He's saying, don't, don't be arrogant. Don't be, oh, I'm going to go do this. And I'm going to make this and do that. No, no, no. Be God dependent. And then when something good happens, don't be like, oh, it was all me. This is all for God. This is for God's glory. God's the one that did it. God's the one that gave me the breath to even wake up today. Bring God in the mix. And then James says this in verse 17. This little verse, this little phrase that kind of ties this together. He says this. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. See, sin is not just not doing bad things. Like, that's usually what we think. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or maybe you're somebody kind of investigating this whole thing, usually when you think of sin, it's like, oh, here's the things that I shouldn't do. There's the, the list, and, and maybe you disagree on the list. You know, your, your neighbor has a different list than you do, but that's kind of the list. And don't do these things. But here's what James is saying. Hey, yeah, yeah, that's, that's sin. There's some things you shouldn't do, but... As much, just like that, things that you know you should do and you don't, those are sin as well. So the good that God lays on your heart to do and you say no to God, that's sin. 
And James, in the context of bringing God into every area of your life, he, he, he points that out, that, man, when we know there's good to do and we say no to God, it's sin. And then what James does is he kind of closes a section, and he, he, we jump into chapter 5, but to us it's chapter 5, but to these people it wasn't broken down in chapters, it was just a letter. And what James does is he gives an example of how leaving God out of business and leaving God out of this area can be devastating. And he speaks of, of, of wealthy landowners who controlled at this point much of the Roman Empire and how these people were not doing things God's way and the results were devastating. He says this, he says, again, he uses the same phrase, come now. So, all right, if you started to get distracted, listen up again. I'm about to say something important, so lean in. He says, come now, you rich people. And basically, rich people are those who have more than they need to live. So pro he's talking to everybody. Like, he's talking to people that, yeah, everybody has more, more than, most people have more than probably they need, the people that were reading this letter. He says this, you rich people, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Like, James, man, what, what's all this about? I mean, he's, he's literally saying, hey, I want you to burst into tears and howl with grief. That's, that's what he's saying. Well, why, James? Because, James, what he's doing is these people have leaned into their wealth and it's given them temporary fulfillment but they've used their wealth, and you're going to see how they used it in ways that didn't please God, and it's actually going to bring judgment on them. And so James is like, I wouldn't be laughing. I'd take that smirk off your face. This is not going to go well for you. And again, James, he, he condemns the reader not for being rich. I mean, James, by this definition, he was rich too, but for misusing their resources and hurting people. And here's, here's what he says. Verse 2, he says, your wealth has rotted, and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. Basically, he's saying, hey, all those things that you work so hard for and all the things you put you, that are so valuable to you, it's all temporary. Those clothes, they're going to get old. That Those precious metals, they're going to corrode. And then James, in this next phrase, it's just a tragic phrase what he's about to say. He says this, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasure in the last days. Here's what he's saying. You know that wealth that has become your God and isn't lasting? It's actually going to be the evidence God uses to bring judgment on you. Like, James... This is like, man, this is not a warm and fuzzy conversation. Like, can we get to the end of this letter? Is there more, like, some nicer stuff, James? James is saying, hey, and he's not talking to everybody in the mix here. He's talking to specific people that he was writing to that were using their money in a way that was hurting people. And they were making money their God and business their God instead of making God their God. And he's saying, all those things that are so valuable to you, they're all going to go away, but they are going to be used as evidence before God to bring judgment on you. 
And here's what they were doing. He, he tells, he says, look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cries out. And the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of armies. These people were, were, were lying to their employees. They were cheating their employees. And, and, and James is saying, hey, you don't think God hears? God hears, he hears injustice. God, God sees what's happening. And he uses this phrase, this, he uses this phrase, the Lord of armies. He's picturing God as a warrior, and he's saying, you know what? You're cheating these people. You're hurting these people. You're defrauding these people, and you need to know God sees it, God hears it, and he is ready for battle with you. It's serious. Like, anytime you hurt God's people, God takes that seriously, because every person is made in the image of God, and God has a problem when people hurt people. And so James, he's, he's writing to these people that have hurt people with their wealth and they've manipulated people in their businesses. And he's saying, this is not okay and God's not letting this go. And he goes on. He says, you've lived, lived a luxurious, live luxuriously. Basically he's saying, you've lived a soft life. You've, and he goes on, on earth and, and you've indulged yourself. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. And then he says this, you have condemned, you have murdered the righteous who does not resist you. He says, you, you have hurt people that have done nothing to you. You're hurting people that can't stop you from hurting them. They can't resist you. They're not doing anything to you. These people that he's writing to, these rich people, not only were they withholding and kind of cheating people that were their employees, but they were also using their influence in the courts to intentionally hurt and steal from innocent people who could do nothing about it. And James says, no, God sees that. God hears and God will act. His message to these people as he's writing. And again, James is writing to a very specific group of people. There's application 2,000 years later. But, but as we read this, he's, he's thinking of real situations. And he's writing about them to these people. And his message is, hey, you have made wealth your temporary God. Instead of using God's gifts to serve people and expand his kingdom, your greed has driven you to disobey God and hurt people. And this isn't how the kingdom of God works. In fact, Jesus did the opposite. Jesus actually left riches to come and make himself low to lift other people up. Jesus gave you an example that was the opposite of what you're doing to these people in the Roman Empire. Jesus left riches that you can't even understand or comprehend. And he came and he made himself low. And if anyone understood this, and if anyone had, could really see this, this, it was James. Because James grew up in the same house as Jesus. 
And James, and if you know his story at all, he had heard his brother's message. He had seen his, his brother serving people, and, and he had seen his brother sacrificing. And, and for a while, he didn't buy into it. He, he, he wasn't a big fan of his, of his brother Jesus. He wasn't a big fan of his message. It wasn't till James saw his brother risen from the dead that James even became a follower of Jesus. And so James, he, he had seen this. And now James is writing this letter now several decades later. And he's writing this letter to the, these people. And he's saying, hey, evaluate your life. And make sure that Jesus has every room in the house, including your finances. Because life is short. Because God's way is best. And because my actions have consequences. Whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, I mean, it doesn't matter where you are as it relates to faith. Every single one of us, whether you've been following Jesus for a long time or whether you're somebody that's been investigating faith, maybe a little skeptical of the whole Jesus thing, every single one of us has said we believe things that we really don't believe. I mean, we've all said, hey, I believe this, and then it has no effect on our life. And let me give you some examples. Like, we've all said, hey, I, man, I love roller coasters, until we're asked to get in line at Six Flags. Like, you know, it was easy to talk, you know, in the park, you know, at the house about, oh, I love roller but when... Uh, I get a little nervous, and I got it. Oh, it's actually time to get in line. Okay, maybe I don't like it as much. We, we've all said, "Hey, oh yeah, I like that restaurant." Until your spouse tells you, "Hey, you want to go eat there tonight?" Nah, I don't. I don't really. Nah. Have you ever had this kind of off subject? Like, "Hey, where you want to eat?" Oh, whatever, whatever you want to eat, whatever. Really? Oh, how about this place? No. How about this place? No. How about this place? No. Okay, so not really whatever. Well, we, we all say things that we really don't mean. I mean, we, we've, we've all said, hey, I, I want to focus on uh, building up our savings account until we walked into Target. And then, oh, well, maybe I don't really want to this month. We'll start next month. We, we say things that, man, we, we, we say things that we really don't believe, that really don't affect our life. And, and this might be one of the things we say. We, we, we've said we're followers of Jesus until it came to, you fill in the blank area of your life. Oh, I'm a follower of Jesus. Oh, God's way is best. Go. And, and we, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Until there's a couple areas. <sighs> Maybe his way is not totally best in that area. For, for James, he, he spoke in, in this section about business, financial areas, planning. But it might be another area for you. It, it might be another area that you'd say, hey, I, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I believe God, except for ugh, this one area. But let me ask it this way. Maybe, maybe a better way to ask it. Is there a room in your house that you don't let Jesus into? You're like, technically, it's not a room, closet, couple drawers, but, but you know what I mean. Oh, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm at church on Sunday. I, I, I give a little money here. I help with this. I brought some stuff for sports camp, and yeah, I'm, I'm all in, except for these couple rooms that I just, just asked Jesus never to go into. 
And, and here's, here's maybe the, the bigger question for today. Would you be willing to let Jesus in? Would you be willing to let Jesus into those rooms? Why? Because, man, life is short. Life is short. It, James compares our life to a vapor. In light of eternity, it's like we are one grain of sand out of every beach in the world. And every beach in the world, all the sand is eternity. It's like, man, our life is so short, yet this little time we have on earth impacts the rest of eternity. Would we be willing to let Jesus into those, those rooms that maybe we've kept him out of? Because, man, life is short. We're not promised tomorrow. Would you be willing to let Jesus in because God's way is best? I mean, and here, here's the thing. We know that. Like, like the rooms that we don't let Jesus into, we know those rooms are train wrecks. We know our way isn't going well. We know those things are harmful. We know that addiction isn't helpful. We know that. Nobody, I mean, we might argue that it's okay or that, yeah, but in the back of our mind, we know that's destructive. We've had people in our family that have, man, messed up their whole life because of what's in those rooms. We know God's way is best. But we just, man, we just have trouble really trusting. And maybe you have trouble trusting because someone has made you feel very shameful because of what's in those rooms. And Jesus is saying, hey, open the door. When you open that door, when you, when you humble yourself, just like James says a few verses earlier, I'll pour out grace. But, but you gotta, you got to humble yourself. you got to let me in those rooms. Man, I, I will pour out grace. I will accept you. I will love you. I will help you. But you got to open the door. Would, would you be willing to let Jesus in because life is short, because God's way is best, and also because my actions have consequences? I mean, obviously they have consequences for bad, but that's not even what I'm talking about. Man, there's so much good God wants you to do. There's so much good God has for you. And your actions have consequences. And man, if, if, if those doors, if we'll open up those areas of our life, there's so much good God has for our lives. And if we had to wonder if Jesus was trustworthy or if we could really open up our entire life to him, hasn't he proved that he's trustworthy? I mean, think about what Jesus did. He, he left heaven. He came to earth. He spent 33 years here on earth. He lived a sinless life that we could never live. And then he went to the cross. He died on the cross. He, he, he took all my sin, all my ugliness, all your sin, all your ugliness on himself and said, hey, I will trade you my righteousness for your sin. I'll take your bad and I'll give you my good. I'll take your hell and I'll give you my heaven. And then he did it. And then they put his body in a grave. And three days later, he rose from the grave and made a way for us to have a relationship with him. And after he rose from the grave, James is one of the people that started to buy into it because he saw somebody that was dead risen from the grave. And he bought into it. 
And, and one of the ways that we kind of remember, because it's so easy, it's so easy to forget what Jesus did. It's so easy to forget that he went to such great lengths to have a relationship with us. One of the ways that we remember that we, is we do it by taking communion. And today, as we kind of close up this section of our service, we're going to just take communion. And if you haven't had a chance, you, there's the communion uh, things are right in the back of the church. You can go grab one. Uh, some of you probably grabbed them on your way in, but you can grab those. And this is a, a tangible way for us to remember what Jesus did. It's something, uh, communion, something that Jesus modeled for us. He, but the night before he went to the cross, he had communion with his kind of guys, his disciples, before his death. And when we take communion, we, we take communion as to, to remember what he did. And we, we remember a couple things specifically. We remember his body that was broken. We remember that, man, when Jesus went to the cross, this was no cakewalk. This was a brutal beating where his body was broken to the point where the scriptures say he did not look like a human being. His body was broken. And so we, we use this little cracker bread in some cases to represent his body. It's just a, a way to remember. And then the juice, it, it, it's a representation as well. It's a representation of his blood. That, that that day when he gave his life, not only did he give his body and it was broken, but he also, man, he shed his blood so that we wouldn't have to. And here at City Walk, there's only, there's only two requirements that we have for people that are taking communion. It's the same ones that the scripture has. You're like, well, that's a good thing. And it's simply this. That if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've come to a point in your life where you have admitted to God that you're a sinner, that, that man, you've disobeyed God, you've done things your way, you've believed that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave for you, and you've invited Jesus into your life, you've started a relationship with him. If you've done that, then that's one of the things the scripture says is, hey, if, if you're going to take communion, make sure you have a relationship with Jesus. And then the second requirement that the scripture gives us is that, hey, before we take communion, it's important that we examine ourselves. And here's what, what the scripture means. It means basically to just say, take a couple minutes and say, hey, is there anything in my life right now that's between me and God? Is there any sin in my heart? Are there some rooms in my house that I just haven't let Jesus into? And it just gives you a moment to just talk to God about that and, and repent, ask for forgiveness, and kind of get your heart right. So we're going to take, Luke's going to just play quietly in the background, and I'm going to just give all of us just quietly just a couple minutes to examine our hearts, and then I will come back and we will take communion together.
as Paul wrote, he wrote to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And as he talked about the bread, he said this. He said, the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember Christ's broken body as we eat the bread. Paul, he continues as he talks about the juice and he says this, he says, in the same way, also he, being Jesus, took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's remember the blood of Jesus that he shed for our sin as we drink the juice. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, before we close our time in prayer, let me just ask you that question again. Just between you and God, what room is Jesus not allowed into? Maybe for you it's your future. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your sexuality. Maybe it's an addiction that you have. Maybe it's a relationship that there's a lot of unforgiveness in. Maybe it's something else. But, but what room have you just man, tried to keep Jesus out of? Here's the thing. He knows it's messy. He knows what's behind the door. You're not going to surprise him, neither will I. And the thing is, he came for messy. He came because we needed someone to fix our mess. And so would, would maybe today be the day, whether you're online or you're here this morning, that you would just open the door to that porn addiction. Would you open the door to the, the financial greed that you have? Would you open the door to those issues in your marriage that maybe nobody knows about? Would you open the door to that relationship problem that, man, you've, you've closed up for the last decade? Would you be willing to open the door and, and let Jesus in? humble yourself and, and just allow him to transform that room because life is short and God's way is best so this morning what, what, what room is it for you and are you willing knowing that you don't even you're not even promised tomorrow are you willing to keep the door shut Or are you ready to say, I'm going to open the door? God, I pray that you would work in our hearts. Or whether we're online or we're here this morning, Lord, the, the enemy is telling us to keep the door shut. The enemy is telling us that, man, if people really knew, and you're just standing at the door knocking, and you're saying, just, just let me in. I have so much grace. I have such a better plan.
but you got to let me in. Jesus, I pray that you would work deeply in our hearts and that, including myself, that we would say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen.